Thank you. She's so perky. She gets the perky award. How are you doing this morning? Uh, it's, it's really good to just get together and uh, be in God's presence. I don't know where you're at this morning, but um, uh, I just sense the presence of God. Have the whole weekend, all three services. Uh, worship was really anointed. Man. And, and it's just uh, something healing, just being in the presence uh, of God. That's one of the values of coming together and worshiping together. Um, there's just a, a call down, the presence of God together. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Also, I want to say that, you know, um, especially, I, I don't know how you are, but I, one of the ways I like to worship God is, uh, especially on rowdy music, is to dance a little bit. And uh, Toby's always up here uh, dancing around, and I joined her this morning. I just want to say, we're, 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 that's cool. And if you like to move a little bit uh, when you're worshiping, uh, feel free to come up here. And we got space, and it's kind of confining when you're right there in the chair. But you can get out and stretch your legs a little bit and get a little groove going and worship God that way. It's all good. It's all good. All right. All right. I, I woke up this morning and uh, just had an encounter with God. I... I, I, I don't know, some of you maybe follow me on, on, on Twitter, I tweet now, and I got, got one kind of crazy this morning. I must have, I call it a tweet preaching, uh, where I, I was just overwhelmed by the cross. Just, I, I just was, sometimes it just hits you, where I mean, God went to the furthest extreme possible. Uh, God became, oh, the all-holy God, in some sense, became our sin, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And became our curse. He couldn't have gone any further than he went in order to be in relationship with us. And um, that means that his love for us could not be any greater than it is. And our worth to him could not be any greater than it is. And I know that in my head all the time, but sometimes you just encounter the reality of that. You know what I'm talking about? And it just was overwhelming. It is the best news you could possibly imagine. You couldn't get better news than that. That news is so good that I don't care what bad news you got, it's insignificant compared to this good news. This good news can just bulldoze right over. It's, a, it's hard to wake up and have that on your mind and, and not have it be a good day. Even if the day sucks, it's going to be a good day because you know how much you're loved by God and what worth you have by God from God, and that's all that matters. That's got nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. I'm just... Wanted to tell you about, I guess it does have something to do with it, but um, I just wanted to share that. We are going back into Colossians chapter 3 today. We've been uh, taking a little break from it to do some other things, a series on faith and doubt and stuff like that, but we're getting back into um, uh, Colossians, that wonderful book. And the first five verses that we're going to be looking at today and probably next week, and who knows, the future is open. Uh, we'll see where this goes, but um, they're powerful, powerful Verses, there, you really have the whole, the whole structure of the kingdom, and the essence of our identity, and the the essence of, of what it is to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. You find that all right here in these five verses. They're powerful, um, and we're going to title this message: "The Bizarre, the Beautifully Bizarre Entangled You." The beautifully bizarre entangled you for reasons that you'll see here in a moment. Well, probably about 15 minutes you'll figure it out, but you'll see. Pray with me here for a moment. Uh, Abba, Father, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. I just uh, 
sense the, the beauty of your love just enveloping us. And I, I pray, God, that for everyone here in this auditorium uh, and everybody who's listening on podcasts or television or any other means, I pray, Lord, that you just uh, surround us, surround them, and drown us in your love. And God, give this message your authority and your power to do what my words can never do, and that is to change hearts. And uh, God, open our minds and our hearts to receive your word deeply. Father, I want to come against anything that would be obstructing your word, any part of us that would say no to it and, and, and put a wall up and would want to rule it out because it's too beautiful. I, I come against that. We come against that for one another in Jesus' name. And pray, Lord God, that our defenses are lowered, that we can see and receive and be impacted by, transformed by the truth of who you are and the truth of who we are. The beauty of that. Oh, it's just it's mind-boggling. Help us to receive it, Lord. And God, also, I, I want to pray, and as a standing in the gap for everybody here, uh, I want to intercede on behalf of uh, all that's going on uh, in the, in the uh, Arab world, Lord God, and to the Middle East. And we pray peace. God, just, there's so much hatred, so much anger, so much violence. And Father, we just want to use the authority that we have as kingdom people. Cash in the chips that you've given us in prayer to call down peace on, on all Egypt, uh, Libya, all those different nations where that are, are having these uprisings. Father, and we pray just protection on people, that there be no more loss of life. And bring your peace, Lord God. And, and, and as much as, as possible, show the leaders the way of peace, Lord. Be present there. Somehow even turn it to your advantage. I don't know, Lord, but just uh, we, we just pray peace. And God, guard our hearts. Help us to guard our hearts to not get sucked in. The violent pollution of our, our of our environment, Lord God. There's so much anger and uh, venomous speech and hostility here in our country and all around the world. And Father, help us to be a people who have our eyes fixed on you and don't get sucked into it. Uh, God, to be peacemakers and uh, to be people who are defined by you, not by environment, not by the hostile messages that surround us. Use us as conduits of peace in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I'll get to the verses here in a little bit. Um, I, but I want to start this way. And I'll tell you up front that um, you won't know why I'm saying what I'm saying uh, for probably 10 to 12 minutes. You may not even know what I'm saying for 10 to 12 minutes, but just hang with me uh, and, and you'll get the main point. Um, I, I, I want to be talking about our identity in Christ. That's what these passages, it's one of the things that these passages get at. Uh, but the thing is, is that our identity in Christ is so, so beautifully bizarre that our mind resists it. It, 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 it doesn't fit into our categories. It's too beautiful. And so I want to try to expand our categories just by talking a little bit about reality. Um, and we, we look at the world as kind of a normal place. We have an ordinary view of looking at the ordinary way of looking at the world, a common sense way of looking at the world. It's normal. Um, we're not very impressed by the world. Uh, kids are. Oh, I, I love raising our grandkids, and you, everything's new, and they're so excited, and they just that, that freshness. There's newness there. But when you get to be 55 years old, you've seen it all, uh, or at least enough of it. And it stops impressing you. 
So we look at a tree, but we've seen thousands of trees, and so there's nothing much impressive about a tree. And we see a blade of grass or a flower or a sunset, or we see our spouse, or we look in the mirror and see ourselves. But we've seen all this before, and it no longer impresses us. The clouds, the stars, uh, it, it's just, it's normal, it's ordinary, it's just the commonsensical world. It's even kind of boring. But do you ever have those moments, once in a while, or have you ever had these moments where you all of a sudden wake up, and it's not normal at all? I, you wake up to how utterly odd it is that there's something rather than nothing. There's something. Does that ever happen to you? Um, I'm feeling alone up here. Does it ever happen? <laughs> no, Greg, you just did a little bit too much drugs when you were 16. Uh, uh, and that's probably true, but you wake up and it's like bizarre. We're real. We're real. I'm really, I'm up here talking to you and you're there listening to me and it's real. And it's just, we take it for granted, but it really is bizarre. We exist. And, and does it ever strike you as strange that, you know, it hits me once in a while where I'm, I'm walking along and all of a sudden I realize that I am a brain encased in a head. I'm inside of a skull. And, and uh, I'm walking along. There's me. That's really who we are. We, we're trapped in the skulls and we're pe- peeping out at one another through these little beady eyes. And the light's coming in. And our whole entire sense of reality is the result of the billions of neurons popping in our brain with the trillions of synaptic connections. And the particular way they fire is, is what gives us our sense of real. You only know I'm up here talking to you because the light waves are going into your eyes and the sound waves are going into your ears and it's, it, it's uh, causing the neurons to react in a certain way that you're interpreting as me being out here talking to you. But it's, it's very strange. It's very bizarre. It's really quite beautiful. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. But we're used to it, so we just take it for granted. It's ordinary. It's normal. Once in a while, though, you wake up to how strange the world is. We exist. It's real. It's really here. And we don't even know what existence is. What is existence? What is it that sustains us over nothingness? Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, we say, well, we have matter. We, we, we have substance. We have substance. I have substance. Here I am. But what is substance? We don't even know what substance is. We're just used to it. We stop asking the question, but... But if you can step out of your uh, grid of, of normality and, and look at it with fresh eyes, you realize that it's quite a strange thing. We used to think that if we could just get down to the smallest particles uh, that comprise matter, that we would understand it. We could understand everything. We just get down to the smallest unit, which we thought would be this little indivisible thing called an atom. And so we, we finally got down to the atom. And guess what? We discovered that it's not an indivisible tiny thing. Actually, an atom is a universe unto itself. And there's all these subatomic particles that comprise the atom, and, and, uh, and we keep learning more and more about it. These, these, these things that comprise all, all matter. And these subatomic particles are really just uh, little bursts of energy. And there's all sorts of kinds of them, because there's all sorts of different kinds of bursts of energy, and they interact with one another in different ways. So we've got you know, fermions and quarks and squarks and hadrons and bosons and, uh, and leptons and all these other kind of, of, of particles. But they're all just momentary poppings of energy, little bursts. They last for a, a fraction of a fraction of a second. And everything is composed of that, little poppings. It's, it's a, and we don't even know what energy is. What is energy? Well, it interacts with our... Measuring device in certain ways. That's all we can say. Uh, it makes certain, it registers in certain ways on our, on our, our measuring devices, but we don't know what it is. Uh, we can just say what it does. What is energy? And everything is composed like this. So I'm up here talking to you and I look and sound, I like, I'm not sorry, sound very normal, but I look normal. 
right? And I, I'm solid. You think I'm solid. But really, I'm a, I'm a massive conglomeration of trillions of poppings every nanosecond. I'm popping up here. I'm a, all these little energy bursts. And that's what I am. <laughs> you sure are popping, I'll tell you. I don't know what you're popping, but you're popping. No. I feel like Pixel Man. You know, it's like, it's like if you're watching television, it looks like you're watching a solid person, but actually there's just millions of these pixels that are popping with certain colors and, you know, certain ways that give the illusion that there's something solid there. But really it's just all the poppings of the pixels. I feel like a Pixel Man, only instead of pixels, I've got uh, subatomic particles that are popping. And the particular way that my poppings are organized is what makes me me. And the particular way your poppings are organized makes you you and it makes the chair the chair and the building the building. And so it is for everything else. And the thing that keeps it all organized, we're told, is that everything is comprised of a hierarchy of, of, of energy fields, uh, morphogenetic energy fields. And they hold things together. And there's, there's fields within fields within fields, all the way from the uh, atom to the, to the plant to the uh, person to the earth to to the solar system to the galaxy to the universe it's all subatomic particles popping trillions of times a second held together by energy fields within energy fields within energy fields and that's what keeps anything being solid but we're not really sure what an energy field is other than the fact that it holds the poppings together and that's what comprises all of reality it's bizarre it's weird it's fascinating we're swimming in a sea of mystery, unfathomable, impenetrable mystery. Every square inch around us, every second, is absolutely impenetrable mystery, and it's beautiful, and it's bizarre. But see, we get tired, and we just look at the world as though it was common, ordinary, commonsensical. What we call ordinary is simply what the label you slap on this infinite sea of mystery when you're half awake. We, we go through life kind of half asleep, and we, just, we don't notice the mystery of it all, but it's the more we see and learn about reality, the weirder it gets. It's very, very odd. These subatomic particles, these little bursts of energy I'm talking about that really constitutes all matter, the more we find out about them, the stranger the world gets. I mean, uh, some of you, I'm sure, have dabbled in quantum physics. Maybe you're an expert in quantum physics. But it's, that stuff will just cause your brain to have a strain. I mean, that is... So they say that a uh, particle, before it's measured, in, in superposition it's called, that a, a, a quantum particle it exists in all of its possible uh, states all at once. <laughs> How is that possible? That's, that's bizarre. And then when you measure it, uh, when you collapse the wave particle packet, it's called, you, uh, you can't predict where it's going to be. There's a certain kind of unpredictability in quantum particles. Almost like free will, these little particles, the poppings that comprise everything within limits organized by the, the, the morphogenetic field that holds it all together, within those limits, uh, it's got free will. It, it, you don't know what it's going to be, which is why science now is moving kind of out of its deterministic framework that it had under Newton and, and centuries past, and is moving much more towards a, 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 an understanding that indeterminacy or a, a certain spontaneity and free, freedom permeates all of reality. Which is why science is now proving the open view to be true, and I threw that in for free. All right. Oh, it's just—it's—it's it's a bizarre world. It's a beautiful world. It's absolutely—and the whole thing—the whole thing takes place in time and space, right? Time and space. You know, boring. We've always known about time and space. Everyone takes up time and space. You know, that's the most ordinary thing in the world. But think about it. It's—it's it's utterly, utterly bizarre. Time. What is time? even beyond the funky things that Einstein says about it. Um, you know, is, is there a first moment or not? 
We can't conceive of a first moment because we can always say, well, what happened one second before that moment? But we also can't conceive of it not having a first moment, going on forever. It's always been. No, it's always been. As far back as you go, well, it's always been that way. We can't conceive of it without a beginning, and we can't conceive of it with a beginning. But surely it must either have a beginning or not. One of them has to be true, but neither can be true. And same thing for space. Is there, a, is there an outer boundary to space? Well, we can't conceive of that because wherever the boundary is, we, there must, what's oneness beyond that? So maybe there is no boundary. Well, good luck with that one. You can't conceive of that either. You can't conceive of space having a boundary, and you can't conceive it not having a boundary. But one of them must be true, but neither can be true. This is a weird world we're living in. That's what I'm saying. It's just it's a bizarre world. It's, but see, we, we look at it, we, we take it for granted, we get used to it, and so we just kind of go, we, we just kind of just go along normal. Everything's commonsensical, and we stop being fascinated by stuff, and, and we call that normal. And I say all that to say this, that what is true of all our reality is also true of us. There's a normal us, uh, a commonsensical us, it's the us that we've always been used to, the us that, that we've grown up with, okay? It's just normal, blah, blah, blah. Look in the mirror, it's the same person. But see, that, that normality, that normal, that ordinary, doesn't even begin to capture what's true. Just like our normal view of reality, that, that's just a shadow of reality. That, that doesn't tell the whole story about what is real. It doesn't even tell a fraction of what's real. It, what we call normal is what happens after you delete out all the mystery and delete out all the beauty. It's a shadow of reality. It's not real reality. And the same thing is true of you and the same thing is true of me. What we call our normal self, our ordinary self, our commonsensical self, that is, doesn't tell the whole story about us. It doesn't even tell a fraction of the story. It's a shadow of who we are. In fact, what we're going to see as we get into this word is that, that the, the truth about us is more beautifully bizarre than even the beautiful bizarreness of, of, of particles or the beautiful bizarreness of, of, of the fields within fields within fields or the beautiful bizarreness of time and space. Uh, there is a mystery to you that is beautiful uh, and, and, and bizarre and that will transform you if you can receive it. But our normal worldview is addicted to normality, the status quo. And we tend to delete out all of that. Let me tell you about one other mystery, and I'll get into the, 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 the passage. This is an important one. You ever heard of the EPR experiment? All right. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, it deals with entangled particles. And entangled particles are particles that are wrapped up with one another, and they function like one particle. Remember that point. They function like one particle. Uh, and if you take this, these entangled particles and shoot them in the opposite directions, and they, they by definition, have a contrary or polarized spins, you see? So if you shoot them in different directions, what you do to one particle instantly happens to the other particle. If you deflect the spin of this one, that one is instantly deflected in the opposite direction because it has an opposite spin. So in other words, and it doesn't matter how far apart they are either. This is what's really bizarre. They can be light years apart, but if you affect one, you instantly affect the other. How is that? We don't know. But they, the particles still think they're entangled. <laughs> they act like they're one particle, even though they're, they're, in some sense, they are one particle, even though they're far apart. The world is bizarre and beautiful and mysterious. And you are bizarre. <laughs> Not me, you. <laughs> You're bizarre <laughs> and beautiful and mysterious. But see, we need to embrace the bizarre. We need to embrace the weird and not censor it out. The stuff that scripture says about us is so literally, I mean, almost literally unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. It's beautiful. 
And that's why there's a part of us that maybe we can theoretically say yes to it, but, but we have trouble really internalizing it. But see, we've got to internalize it. We've got to embrace the weird and, and uh, 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 collapse whatever it is about our quote-unquote normal, ordinary, commonsensical view of ourselves in the world that would resist this. Because it is beautiful. It is beautiful. We need to embrace it in all of its beautiful weirdness. All right, let's look at the passages. Colossians chapter 3. Mm. It says this. Welcome to the bizarre, beautiful world of the New Testament. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And see, we do the same thing with the Bible that we do it with the world. We, 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 we read it, we get used to it, and it stops impressing us. Let's, read, let's hear it for the first time. Capture its bizarreness, its beauty. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. What? Raised with Christ? I'm only 55 years old. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's in the power position of God. We'll talk about that next week or the week after or sometime in the future, I imagine. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. What? I'm dead? For you died in your life. Well, I thought you said I was just dead. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Is now hidden with Christ in God. Now. When Christ, who is your life. Christ is my life. It's weird. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We'll see at some point in the future that the glory is simply what happens when you take away everything that obstructs that glory now. Uh, then the, the beauty uh, and the radiance of Christ shines forth and we shine with him. Right now it's all, we're in the fog of war, so everything's concealed. But it will someday be manifested. I'll talk about that later. Put to death, therefore, therefore, because of everything he just said to us, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Or the flesh. And he's not talking about our physical body necessarily. He's talking about uh, this uh, false way of looking at the world, false way of looking at yourself. The flesh covers all the lies we believe. Put it, put it away. And then put away all the behaviors that flow out of those lies, like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This, these five verses capture the essence of what the kingdom's about, the essence of our identity, and the essence of how to be transformed. Like Paul frequently does. In fact, the New Testament generally operates this way. And I'm going to here give a quick overview of this whole, these five verses, and then I'll pick it apart in a little more detail. But the way the New Testament usually operates is that it's, it, it tells you the truth. Here's what's true. And then it tells you to get your mind and heart set on the truth. And then it tells you to then get your behavior to line up with what your mind and heart believes is true. That's, that's, the, that's the whole program. The ordinary, normal, commonsensical way of doing ethics is very different than that. The way you, the way normal people do ethics is that you have uh, a discipline uh, or a rule that you want to engage in, a behavior you want to practice, or a mental discipline you want to practice in order to become a better person. You want to become a better person. So you want to become something that you're not presently. That's the normal, commonsensical way of doing ethics. The New Testament does it the opposite. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. Everything is beautifully bizarre, which is in some ways kind of proof that it's true because it conforms to the beautiful, bizarre nature of the world as we've been seeing. But to grasp it, you've got to put aside your commonsensical, ordinary, normal way of looking at things. The way the New Testament does it is it, it, it uh, tells us that we were to engage in mental disciplines, the most important kind, and we're to engage in behavioral disciplines and do good deeds and, and discipleship, but not to become something that we're not already. Rather, we do them because we are already that. 
We, we don't become something where we, you get everything up front when you're uh, united with Christ. And now it's just a process of getting our brains to line up with it and then getting our behavior to line up with it. We don't acquire anything or earn anything. No, we, we just get off, get, get shed off the lies, the flesh, and then manifest what is true. And what is true is mind-boggling beautiful, as we'll see right now. So I want to uh, uh, pick this apart a little bit more. Uh, the key to unlocking the power of this passage is to pay attention to the tenses. All right? So here's the tenses. The past tense in these five verses is that we died with Christ and that we're raised with Christ. That past reality uh, creates a present reality. Our life is hidden with Christ, and Christ is our life. We're now hidden with Christ. And that then creates, will create a future reality, uh, and that is that we will appear with Christ in glory. When everything that obstructs the truth, the shininess of the truth is gone, then we'll appear with Christ in glory. And because of that past reality and a present reality and a future reality, here's what we need to do. Here's the kingdom ethics. We need to just think that way. Set our minds on things above, set our hearts on things above, and then act accordingly. When our mind and our heart is lined up with the truth, well, then we put off all the behavior that doesn't conform to the truth. That, in a nutshell, is what the kingdom is all about. So let's take it a level deeper. I want to deal with the past reality and the present reality a little bit deeper. The past reality is that we died, right? And that we're raised with Christ. Now, our ordinary common sense view of the world would tell us that uh, we are living in the year 2012, and our ordinary commonsensical view of the world will tell us that what happened to a Palestinian Jew 2,000 years ago doesn't have much relevance to us. But you've seen that your ordinary commonsensical normal way of looking at the world doesn't capture real reality. Your ordinary commonsensical way of looking at the world is a sh shadow of real reality. Real reality is much stranger and much more beautiful than your commonsensical view of the world. So this passage tells us that we are in some sense entangled with Christ. In the same way those two particles are entangled, right? And, and uh, uh, they, they function as one particle. So also, we are entangled with Christ in a way where we function like one person. What happens to him happens to us. And what happens to us happens to him, even though he lived 2,000 years ago. The us that happened to him is that we sin, and the wages of sin is death. And so... 2,000 years ago, Christ bore our sin and suffered the, the punishment that we deserve, the death that we deserve. And uh, he took that into the grave and he left it in the grave. He put to death death. Somehow, because of our entanglement with Christ, our sin is now already, 2,000 years ago, put to death. What it means is that you're your old self, what the Bible calls your old self because it's dead, that old self, which is every part of you that doesn't conform to the character of God, that old self is dead. It's been dead for 2,000 years. That petty self has been dead for 2,000 years. That addicted self has been dead for 2,000 years. That cheating self, that lying self, that, that jealous self, that, that self that, that doesn't trust, that self that's full of fear, that self that's full of worry and anxiety, uh, you know, that, that self that just craves sin is dead. It's been dead for 2,000 years. Yeah. You say, well, I wasn't born until 40 years ago. Yeah, that's what your common sense would tell you. And it's true, you were born 40 years ago. But see, you're not alone. You're entangled. You're entangled. If you've surrendered to Christ, you're entangled with him so that what happens to you happens to him. And so he takes your 
sin and retroactively applies it uh, to, to his, his death on the cross. And so your own self is dead. It's a carcass. Now you're saying, well, it doesn't feel like a carcass. Why, I sin very easily, thank you very much. I, 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 I still am under this uh, power. I still am addicted. I'm still jealous. I'm still petty. I still have worries and anxiety. But see, that's the shadow of reality. That doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't even tell a fraction of the story. The whole story is that you're entangled with Christ. And that old self, whether you feel it or not, is dead. And the way you begin to experience the deadness of your old dead self is by affirming the reality, the full, beautifully bizarre reality of your being entangled with Christ. And don't let your ordinary, commonsensical view of things tell the whole thing. No! No, you lock it in. It's part of God's word. That your old self, that, that thing is dead. Now there's a new thing, a new thing alive. Yes. Beautifully bizarre. And now, he says, also, 2,000 years ago, you were raised with Christ. When he came out of the grave, you came out of the grave. You know, the truth is that this actually, when Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, all of humanity was in him. Uh, Paul says that as all were in Adam, so all are in Christ. And, uh, uh, and, and so God's got a bear hug around everybody. But the thing is that that only gets activated to our life when we have faith and put our trust in it. Uh, and when you put your trust in it, then that's when the entanglement kicks in, as it were. And uh, so when he came out of the grave, you came out of the grave, which means you share his resurrected life. When he's raised, you're raised. Now, this is bizarre, but his resurrected life pertains to everything about him. And so everything about him, you know, you're an entangled particle. You're functioning like one person. What's true of him becomes true of you. So his relationship with the father becomes your relationship with the father. You're not the son of God. Hope you know that. Uh, but you are in the Son of God. And if you're in the Son of God, you're in the position where he, he, that He's in. And so His relationship to the Father is your relationship with the Father. Perfect, unbroken, unwavering. And the love that the Father has for Him is the love that the Father has for you. Which is why I said earlier, you couldn't possibly be more loved than you are right now. It couldn't be increased. Uh, the, the infinitude of God's love that defines God throughout eternity is directed towards you. Because it's directed towards Jesus. And you're entangled with Jesus. His resurrected life means then that, that his, his uh, position becomes your position. And his, his joy becomes your joy. And his fullness of life becomes your fullness of life. And his peace becomes your peace. Praise God. And his confidence becomes your confidence. And his character becomes your character. You're entangled with him. Now your common sense would say, boulder dash. It doesn't make any sense. I don't have the confidence of Jesus. I'm intimidated by everybody. I don't have the peace of Jesus. I'm worried about tonight. I, I don't have the love of Jesus in my heart. I can't stand my father-in-law. I, I don't have the, the, you know, the character of Jesus. I, I'm, a, I'm a shady character. That's what you think. That's your normal way of looking at yourself. That's your common sense way of looking at yourself. The question is, is that going to tell the whole story? Are you going to let that tell the way you think about yourself, you inherited from the world. What mom said, what dad said, what the boyfriend said, the accident that happened, or whatever. You have all those little auto tapes playing in your head. Are you going to let that define you, or are you going to say, no, uh, the real reality <laughs> that doesn't conform to my common sense uh, is the one that God speaks. And the truth is that I'm entangled with Christ, so his death is my death, and, and, and my sin is his sin. He bears it, my sin, and his resurrected life is my resurrected life. Um, and you ask, how is that possible? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know how two particles can be simultaneously act, you know, acting on one another. You know, reality just is that bizarre. Deal with it. <laughs> Accept it. Embrace the weird. 
It's the only way you push through the commonsensical stuff that, that you begin to grab hold of the beautiful stuff and internalize it and say yes to it, and that changes everything. So that's the past reality. You died, and now you're raised again. You were raised with him. That brings about the, 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 a present reality. Your life is hidden with Christ, and Christ is your life. Christ is your life, and you're hidden with Christ and God. Holy Spirit, help us to receive this. Uh, common sense would tell us that we are down here and he is up there and we are us and he is him. Common sense is screwed up. This common sense doesn't even scratch the surface of what's really real. Um, common sense just gives you a shadow of what is real. What's really real is that we're entangled with Christ. And so we function as one person uh, in, in certain ways. What's true of him is true of us. So now... Paul says, Christ is our life. He's not up there and us down here. He is in here. He is our life. He is our life. Uh, He doesn't just give us his peace and give us his joy and give us his position and give us his character. No, he abides in us with all of that. He is our life. He is, as we just sang a moment ago, the air we breathe. The air we breathe. Here he is. He is our heartbeat. He is, he, he's, he's doing life from the, from the inside of me out. He is my life. It means we don't lose our individuality. You know, in fact, when you're surrendered to Christ, it accentuates your individuality, and God loves your individuality, and you're never going to lose that. That's your particular way of shining Christ. But what animates you, who animates you, is Jesus Christ, if you're surrendered to him. Your entanglement is such that he now lives through you. The real you is the you that is the life of Christ inside of you. I am, in truth, a Greg Boyd version of Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I am. I am. Now, I don't always, I don't always manifest that. Honey, what do you think? <laughs> There's a few moments where I, but see, no, I, I still go on the autopilot of my ordinary, boring, normal status quo self that's addicted to the normal, boring world. And, and yeah, so I, I, I conceal it. You know, it's the fog of war. It's hidden. But the truth is that I am, and you are, a particular unique version of Jesus Christ here on earth. His life is your life. It's beautiful. And uh, the whole goal of, of, of our life is to yield to him inside of us. Paul said that. He goes, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. That independent, autonomous Greg Boyd died 2,000 years ago. And say hello to the new Greg Boyd. He's a version of Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Christ lives in me, animating me. And then he says, our life is hidden, Christ. Reality's about to get even weirder. Because it's not just that he, he's not up there and us down here. He's in here. That's, that's he is our life. But it's also true that we are up there. If up and down mean anything anymore. No, we are hidden in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 1 that, um, uh, that, that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, places at the right hand of God, which simply means the power, authority, position of God. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You thought you were in Maplewood. <laughs> Think about this. Common sense would tell you that you're sitting here in, in a church building listening to this whacked out uh, speaker. Um, in Maplewood. That's part of the truth. That's only part of the truth. Because the other thing that's true is that you're seated in heavenly places. In fact, Paul says, we're seated right now in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and dominions and authority. 
far above right now. Right now. Huh? We're entangled with Christ, and that's where he is, so that's where we are. This is our life is hidden. Our life is hidden. Now, it has a connotation of being protected, something secure. We're hidden in Christ. It's like, it's like uh, our life, which is our entanglement with Christ, our union with Christ, uh, that is placed in a vault in heaven. Uh, and that vault is God. We're hidden in Christ. I mean, in, in God, with Christ. We're concealed there, protected. We've got a fortress around us. That means the true us, the true us, the true me, is something that cannot be touched. It's absolutely secure. Now, in our common sense view of the world, that ordinary, boring way of looking at the world, we know that every, there's nothing secure. Everything is vulnerable. Everything is threatened. There's nothing that you have that, that can't be taken from you. Uh, you can lose everything. In fact, you will certainly lose everything. That's the one thing you can count on. If the Lord doesn't come back, uh, you're going to lose everything. That's why every, people in the normal, ordinary world are so full of anxiety and fear because they know they're going to lose it. They just try to, try to pretend like they won't. Uh, but they're, they're clinging to stuff that they know can't be clung to. Everything vanishes. Just like everything's composed of these uh, pops, these bursts of energies, these subatomic particles, and they only last for a fraction of a second, and they're held together by this field, morphogenic field, but and eventually the whole thing goes like a subatomic particle. It vanishes. Everything comes to nothing, <laughs> except what is hidden in God. And what's hidden in God is the most important thing of all. Your life, your wrapped upness, your entanglement with Christ, that beautifully bizarre you. And everything that's associated with the beautifully bizarre you, it means your relationship, the relationship that you have because you're in Christ, uh, the relationship you have with the Father, that is untouchable. And your the, the character that you have because Christ lives in you, that's untouchable. And the joy that he's placed within you is untouchable. The true you has the joy of Christ in you right now. And the peace of, that he gives you uh, is untouchable. The true you is filled with the peace of Jesus Christ. Your normal you doesn't recognize it all the time, but that's what's true about you. All of that is secure. Uh, that's why Paul says at one point in Romans 8, he says that neither height, nor depth, nor, 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 nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither famine, nor pearl, nor sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing! Nothing! Nadia! It's secure there. Now those things can happen to you. Paul's statement presupposes that those things can happen to you. Famine, pearl, sword. Famine, Christians starve to death like other people. Uh, pearl, danger. Well, Christians get in danger like everybody else. The sword, yeah, we get killed like everybody else. Tragedies can happen to us. But see, the one thing that matters the most, uh, the real you, uh, the real you uh, that's entangled with Christ, that is untouchable. Yeah, you know, uh, robbers can steal all that you own, and thieves can steal all your savings, and murderers can steal your life, but no one can touch your union with God in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. It's, uh, uh, you, you, you can, you know, time, time can steal your youth. And, and, and sickness can ravish, and disease can ravish your body. Cancer can ravish your body. All sorts of things can attack and take away your health, but nothing can touch. Nothing can touch your union with, 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 with Christ. Alzheimer's can take away your memory, and accidents can sometimes change a person's personality, and sometimes our sheer stupidity can help us, make us lose our reputation, but nothing can touch, nothing can touch your union with, with, with Jesus Christ. The love of God in Christ Jesus, it is secure, it is stable, it is steadfast. The powers of hell can't touch what is locked in the vault that's called God. He, he's the fortress, and that's where we are. This is why if you put all of our eggs in that basket, get all, all, all your worth, all your identity in that basket, 
and just enjoy everything else with open palms, you'll have a peace that passes understanding. Uh, It's when we cling to that which can't be clung to, when you're trying to stop the river from flowing, uh, it doesn't work. And, And that's where all the anxiety comes from. You'll have a peace that passes understanding when Jesus says, put your treasure in heaven, in that vault, hidden in God. Now here's the thing. That is what's true. It's bizarre. It goes outside of our ordinary uh, way of looking at the world. It, doesn't, it defies common sense. But the reason they call it common sense is because it's common. <laughs> yeah. The kingdom's not going to conform to common sense because it's not common. It's utterly unique and beautiful. So our job is to not give authority to common sense uh, and, and to embrace the bizarre. And the thing is, is that the, the very bizarreness of the beauty of our entanglement with Christ is in some ways a confirmation that it's true because if you stop and think about it a little bit and wake up to it, all of reality is bizarre like that. What happens to the quantum particles in the EPR experiment is what happens to us with Christ Jesus. We are entangled. And it's a beautiful, bizarre reality that we need to internalize. The way we do it is we get our mind and our heart to line up with the truth. So Paul says, set your mind on things above. That vault hidden in God. Set your mind and set your heart on things above. Um, that word set is a tail in Greek. It means to resolve, to fix, to resolute, to, to pursue. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle that he's telling us to cultivate. Set, fix. So our minds should always be on the truth that is beyond the ordinary common sense view of the world and common sense view of ourselves. The truth that God declares uh, about our entanglement with, with, with Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to what's going on in this world. We have to, of course. You don't want to be so earthly-minded. You're no heavenly good, uh, which I tend to be sometimes. I don't know where I put my pen or my phone or my... I lose my head. I, I, I lose everything. Ask my wife. If it wasn't for her, I would be a vagabond walking the streets in Tallahassee someplace. I... I no, I... But, but, but we, we, we got to negotiate this world, but see, it shouldn't define us. The common, ordinary, boring, mundane world should not define who we are. Uh, we shouldn't set our heart on it, set our mind on it. Our mind should be set uh, in heaven, in the heavenly realms where we're entangled with Jesus Christ. This is what faith is all about. We've seen this in the series that we did. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, right? Faith is, we've seen, uh, uh, having in your mind as a substantial reality that which you don't see. And it creates in us a conviction that it is so. We're all movie producers in our own minds. We're always running movies, all the time. And those movies, those images, those, that soundtrack, all the stuff that we, that's how we think. That is how we interpret the world and assess the direction of our life. Which is why Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Whatever movies you're running, it's going to determine the direction of your life. Paul says, set your mind on things above. Envision. As a concrete reality, what is true. And that creates a conviction, your heart that is set on things above. And that sets in your, your behavior in a certain direction. Become a movie producer of kingdom you in your head. That's what he's saying, in essence. That's my paraphrase. And so you are united with Christ, so see yourself as united with Christ. And not just now and then, set your mind that way. Fix your mind that way. Do it as a discipline. You are, the old self is dead, so see it as dead. The new self is risen, so see it as risen. You are filled with this joy, so see yourself filled with joy. You are filled with this peace, so see yourself filled with peace. Get your mind to line up with what is true. And you'll have part of that old, ordinary, commonsensical, boring brain of yours uh, saying, oh, that can't possibly be true, it's too beautiful to be true, that's nonsense, it's poppycock, whatever. And when you see that, you just calmly set it aside and say, no, I set my mind on what is true. 
and run movies of that. Uh, flesh out all the things in our lives, bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. And see, that's when we're then motivated to put off all the behaviors in our life that don't conform to the kingdom of God. We see who we truly are. We see that this doesn't belong there. And so we set it aside. But if you're not doing it in your head, I guarantee you, you can't be doing it in a consistent way in your life. We get it so screwed up when we shoot up behavior, trying to change behavior without changing this. Now, this is what's got to change. So it's like this, and I'll close with this. And we'll have a little tiny exercise here in a, in a second. So I was, um, uh, two weeks ago, I told you I'm working on this book, been obsessed with this book. It's still not done. I, it's, ah. So pray for me. But I'm, I, when I write, I get obsessive. I just get, I get so obsessive. I got a little bit of OCD going on or something like that. And, and I, I, I just fall into it. When I read or write, I fall into it. Time loses all meaning. It completely disappears. I think I'm the only person in the history of Princeton that stood up uh, their own doctoral dissertation committee. Because uh, I, I got, I'm serious. I fell into Karl Barth. And I was reading Karl Barth, and I look up, and it was four hours later. It's like, impossible. Uh, and I miss my, it's oh, crazy. So I'm into this book, and it's flowing, and I'm writing. It feels inspired. It's really going good. I'm really enjoying this. And then my lovely wife comes and says, Honey, uh, don't forget, at 2 o'clock you've got blah, blah, blah. And after that you've got blah, blah, blah. And then you also made an appointment for this, blah, blah, blah. And I was so irritated. I, it was like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to leave it. I, I, this is torture. It was like torture. I was so mad. I was... And I pulled out my hair. I said to Shelly, I, I, I want the word to leave me alone. I just want to write. I just want to write. I just want to write. <laughs> so I'm driving to this blah, blah, blah thing I had, I had a meeting to go to. And I'm really not spiritual. <laughs> to say the least. I was really... And, and, uh, and then it occurs to me, Mr. Spiritual, that this isn't quite what Jesus would look like if Jesus was me in this car. Quite a ways from it. So I did something right. I believe it or not. I set my mind on things above. I set my mind and I asked the question. This is the all important question. Holy Spirit, help us lock this one in. What would I look like if I was a version of Jesus Christ right here and right now? What would I feel like? What would I be thinking? Because that's what is true. I am. I'm just getting my mind to line up with what is true. And so I turned my mind towards that. And I envisioned Jesus probably would not be so irritated. Jesus probably, you know, would see, have a better sense of proportion, would see that, that this thing I'm working on is not as important as I might think it is, would let go of things more readily and would have a different kind of priority system. And, and so I sort of downloaded Jesus into my, my, my life. And I just ran a movie. I'm a movie producer. I ran a movie of what would I look like if I, if I was, in fact, a, a, a Greg Boyd version of Jesus. And in doing that, I'm not becoming something I'm not. I'm rather simply getting my mind to line up with what is already there, what is already true. And you know what? As I see that, it creates a yes in me. Uh, I, I, faith is the substance of things so far. The conviction, I get that conviction of things not seen. And that begins to change my attitude, which begins to change my behavior. And now I'm a little bit more kingdom than I was before. Although I'll never be more kingdom than I actually am because I've got it all up front. I'm just manifesting it more. So right now, this will take one minute. Think about the time this week where you were least Christ-like. Do it. 
For some of you super spiritual people, you might have to go back two weeks. <laughs> Was there ever a time when you were less than perfectly Christ-like? Think about it. Okay, got it? Now just remember it. If you, if you need to close your eyes to do this, then go ahead and do it. You envision it or hear it. However you do memory, we all remember things and we all anticipate things. That's our imagination. So just get as concrete as you can. Get it vividly. Where did you blow it? Where your attitude was bad, you swore, fell into temptation or whatever. Okay, now, as you're thinking about that, now ask the question, what would you look like if you were, if, if Jesus was you in that situation? If you were a, your version of Jesus, because you, in fact, are. Okay, and now, now, now run that movie. Same memory, but just now... You're doing and thinking and feeling what Jesus would think and feel and act. And as you're seeing this movie, okay, as you're, and then, but there might be part of your brain that's saying, no way, no way, that's dumb, this is poppycock, this is not true, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. And that just, when you hear that, just say, oh, that's part of my damaged brain, that old, stupid, oh, that self is dead, and put it aside. And then, then I, as you're watching the you that is a version of Jesus, in your spirit, say yes to it. Just go, that is the real me. All right, that is the real me. That is the real me. And as you do, kingdom, kingdom people will have this in the core of their being, a yes. You're recognizing yourself there. That is really you. There's a yes there. That's at leg cost in, in, in Hebrews 11.1. 1. So you affirm it and lock it in. And then I encourage you now to do that a lot, like every day, like several times a day. In fact, if you did it all day long, it wouldn't be too much because you're habitually running the false tapes all the time. You need to intentionally now come against it and run the true tapes. That's what it means to set, zeteo, set your mind on things above. So I'm going to challenge you now to at least three times a day this week. In fact, for the rest of your life, three times, morning, noon, and night, to just sit and think about the true you. And think about the true you in the situations where you're, you're least the true you, where you're the most carnal. Uh, and, 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 and run those movies, because that's what sets the direction of your life. It really is helpful when something's coming up, a future thing that you know tends to tick you off, or you get triggered, or you get angry. Pre- preview it, preview it. Uh, uh, rehearse for it by, in prayer, envisioning what you look like in that situation when you are, in fact, a version of Jesus, because, in fact, you are. And that prepares you for it. And watch how that changes things. It just changes the direction of your life. Set your mind on things above, not on these earthly things. Set your mind on things above and your heart on things above. And that determines the course of your life. Put off everything that's inconsistent with it. Hallelujah. Yes, okay. I'm going to call the prayer teams up. And uh, as I do, would you, uh, if you have any need here whatsoever you need to have prayed for, come up here and get prayer for these, uh, prayer with these folks. Uh, that's what they're here for. They want to minister to you. So, Abba, Father, you're beautiful. Uh, the world you created is outrageous. You made us to be bizarrely beautiful. Uh, God, thank you for entangling us with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, you be reminding us day in and day out to run the right movies, the true movies, uh, and, and to, to see and to sense and to feel and to move in the direction of who we truly are in Christ Jesus, to put on display that bizarrely beautiful true self that we have in you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and shine on the world with your true self. Amen.